Well, hey everybody, thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to have this chance to dig into Scripture and hear what God has to say. We're continuing in our series through the book of Acts. But before we get there, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to come up with an honest answer. Here's the question. What are you hoping for right now? What is something that you really want to happen? And there's no specific time frame here. You could think about your hopes for this week or the next few months or even the next few years. So, can you think of something? I'll share a couple of my answers. One of the things I hope for is, I hope that by the end of this year, we won't be hearing anyone use the phrase, these uncertain times. And you might be like, yeah, good luck with that. But hey, that's an honest answer. I'm sticking with it. Another thing I'm hoping for is still a few months away. Uh, In November, my wife and I will celebrate 15 years of marriage. And over the past few months, we've talked about getting away for a couple of days, sometime around our anniversary. And it doesn't matter where, as long as it's out of town and we don't have the kids with us. So I hope this trip will happen. But you and I both know it is not easy to plan anything right now. And who knows what the world will look like in November. And you know, that's been one of the tough things about 2020. A lot of things we hoped for just haven't happened. A couple of months ago, I was hoping that by now we would see a light at the end of the COVID-19 tunnel. I was hoping that as the weeks went by, the coronavirus would be less and less of an issue in our country and in the world. But here we are. We're all fed up with this virus, but it hasn't gone away. And that's just one example. In life, there are lots of times when what we hope for doesn't actually happen. There are many situations where our dreams don't come true. Now, I realize I'm sounding like a bit of a downer right now, kind of like, yeah, I was having a pretty good day until I heard Doug's sermon. But the truth is, I'm here to share some good news with you. I'm here to tell you that followers of Jesus have a different kind of hope. Now, of course, we all have hopes, and that's a good thing. But there is more than one kind of hope, and we need to be clear about the difference. So let's break this down for a second. The most common kind of hope is a worldly hope. And I can, I can give you a very simple description of this. Worldly hope is just wanting something to happen. When I say, I hope we get to take that anniversary trip, that's a worldly hope. It's something I want. And this kind of hope is not necessarily selfish or all about me. I could go to you and say, I hope you have a great week, or I hope your toothache gets better. Again, I just want that to happen. But we already established, wanting something is no guarantee that it will become a reality. And when our hopes get frustrated, we can find ourselves disappointed or angry or even depressed. So what's the alternative? Well, I want to look at something I call gospel hope. And here at Plum Creek, we use this word gospel a lot. The word gospel means good news. And we're specifically referring to the good news about Jesus. The gospel tells us that God loves us. Despite the fact that we've all sinned against him and we deserve to be separated from him forever, the gospel also tells us that Jesus came into this world and he sacrificed his life on the cross. He took our punishment on his shoulders. 
And because of His sacrifice, the gift of forgiveness and eternal life is available to everyone. And we receive that gift when we begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus. So with all of that in mind, what does a gospel hope look like? Well, there are two aspects to this. First, gospel hope is expecting that God will keep His promises. For example, Scripture tells us if you belong to Jesus, you will ultimately overcome whatever this world throws at you. So that's the first aspect of this hope. But there's another layer here. Gospel hope is also trusting that God's plan is better than our desires. Now, our first instinct is to say, God, I want what I want, and I'm going to be pretty unhappy until you give me what I want. But this different kind of hope says, Lord, you know what I want, but your ways are higher than my ways. and Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And because of that, I will trust your will over my desires. Now, does that kind of hope come naturally? Of course not. That's why we need the power of God's Holy Spirit transforming our hearts and our minds, helping us trade the normal kind of hope to this different kind. And I'm here to tell you today that transformation is possible. We see an amazing example of that in Acts chapter 16. In this part of the book of Acts, we're still focusing on the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. And today's story took place on the second of those missionary journeys. Paul and his friend Silas had been led by God to a place called Philippi, which was a major city in what we would now call Greece. And as I shared last week, the gospel of Jesus was starting to spread beyond the Jewish culture, and many Gentiles or non-Jews were becoming followers of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 16, we meet three different people who found hope because of Jesus, a wealthy woman, a slave girl, and the city jailer. That wealthy woman was named Lydia. Scripture describes Lydia as a worshiper of God, which means she wasn't ethnically Jewish, but she had chosen to worship the God of Israel. Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth, which was a luxury item in that culture. So she was kind of a high-end fashion retailer. And when Lydia heard Paul preach the gospel message, God opened her heart. She gave her life to Jesus and she was baptized. Later in Acts 16, we meet a slave girl with a tortured soul. This girl made money for her owners because she had this mysterious ability to predict the future. Oh, and one more thing, she was also possessed by an evil spirit. Now, the slave girl enters the story because one day she started following Paul and Silas around the city, yelling and making noise and causing a bunch of problems. The text says that Paul got so annoyed by this girl, he turned around and he said to the evil spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And just like that, the spirit left the girl and she found freedom. So that was great news for the girl, but the slave owners did not appreciate this plot twist. This girl's fortune telling had been a moneymaker. She helped those owners pay the bills. So when Paul freed this girl from that evil spirit, he shut off that revenue stream. And you can see the conflict coming, can't you? Let's go to verse 19 and see how this goes down. It says, When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. Did you catch that? Those owners had a worldly hope of making money and getting rich. They felt like their hopes had been stolen. And when that happens, people will sometimes do some crazy things. Let's keep reading. 
they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, these slave owners were trying to throw the book at Paul and Silas. But when you think about it, what had they done wrong? Was it really a crime to free this girl from an evil spirit? Well, the slave owners had a few accusations. They went to the authorities and they said, these men are Jews. And we all know that Jews don't believe what we believe. We all know they reject our religion and our customs, and they do all kinds of strange things. And these particular Jews are bringing chaos to our peaceful city. And that last part was a pretty serious charge because the Romans had worked very hard to establish peace across the empire, and they did not put up with any threats to that fragile peace. So if a riot broke out in a Roman city, they might be dealt with severely, even brutally. And the magistrates buy into these accusations, and the crowd joins right in. Paul and Silas do not get a fair trial. Instead, they get stripped and beaten and thrown into prison. Their feet were stretched out and fastened in the stocks. Now, if you heard last week's message, you know this is not Paul's first rodeo. Back in the town of Lystra, an angry mob almost stoned him to death. For Silas, though, he had probably never experienced this kind of physical pain in his entire life. So what was Silas thinking here? What were both of them thinking? These guys were just human like us, right? Paul and Silas had hopes and dreams for what would happen in the city of Philippi. They had a vision of many people coming to faith in Jesus, and they wanted to see the message of the gospel changing lives all over the city. And I am sure their hopes did not include a brutal flogging followed by incarceration in a maximum security prison. And right here, most of us have something in common with Paul and Silas, don't we? What they hoped for did not happen. And I'm sure you can think of a time when what you hoped for didn't happen. The question is, how do we respond when we don't get what we want? And I'm not talking about the demands of a spoiled child here. I'm talking about good desires for good things. Like maybe you just want health and happiness for yourself and for people you care about. Maybe you want our country to move forward instead of backward. Maybe you want things to go back to what life was like before COVID began. But again, how do we respond when our hopes are frustrated? Well, the normal thing is to feel deflated or to get angry. And that's certainly understandable. But what if? What if it's possible to rise above what's normal? What if this gospel hope I'm talking about is real? Well, based on what we see from Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, we don't have to settle for what's normal. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, get this picture in your mind. We know what Paul and Silas have already been through. 
We also know that they have committed no crime. They're being punished precisely because they followed God's leading to come to this city and preach about Jesus. It would be completely understandable if they gave in to despair or to anger. In fact, it doesn't surprise me that they were praying in that jail. I could see them going to God and saying, why are you letting this happen? What does surprise me is that they were singing hymns. They were praising God. They were like, the best way to spread prison cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And seriously, that is not normal. So clearly, Paul and Silas are onto something, and we need to figure it out. Why were they singing and praising God at midnight? Because they were in pain. They were being treated unfairly, and they were surrounded by darkness. Have you ever lived through a season like that? Have you, have you ever experienced a season of darkness? Now, some of you haven't. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he said, to be honest, my life has been kind of easy so far. I haven't gone through anything that was truly difficult. And once upon a time, I would have said the same thing. In fact, just five years ago, I would have said the same thing. But the last few years have brought challenges like I've never seen before. I won't go through the whole list, but one example is my health. I've spoken about this before. I had over 40 years of being a really healthy guy. But back in 2017, I started having these symptoms that are kind of hard to explain. The best way I could describe it would be a really bad headache that doesn't involve pain. I know, it's weird. But anyway, I began this journey of seeing different doctors and specialists, trying to get answers and solutions. And I prayed through this whole process. And I was very clear about what I wanted. I wanted to get better, right? My worldly hopes were based around that desire. But guess what? I didn't get what I wanted. Now, I don't, comp I, I, I don't want to compare my hardship with yours because I know a lot of you have experienced far more suffering than I have. But this has been one of my seasons of darkness. And you know what? It's not natural to sing at midnight. Most of the time, we don't want to sing at midnight. We just want what we want. And listen, this message is not about a guilt trip. Don't look at Paul and Silas and feel guilty because you haven't mastered the art of singing at midnight. At the same time, though, I think Paul and Silas can inspire us to go to God and let him infuse our lives with a true gospel hope. Now, to some extent, this gospel hope has to come from God, not just our own willpower. But the other side of this is we have to make a choice. What did Paul and Silas do? They chose to worship God in the darkness. It's the simple step of running to God instead of running away from God or isolating ourselves. I've mentioned this before, but we have a passage of Scripture that's framed and hanging in our home. The passage is Psalm 46, and that psalm says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, I can't tell you how many times I have looked at that scripture on the wall and read those words as a prayer. God, you are my strength. You are my help. And I don't have to be afraid, even if it's the end of the world, even if the mountains fall into the sea. Now, do you think I'm completely free of fear when I read the words, we will not fear? Of course not. 
I get afraid just like anyone gets afraid. We can't always tell our emotions what to do. The point is, we can make a clear choice to go to God and worship Him in the darkness. Remember what we said about that gospel hope. Gospel hope is expecting that God will keep His promises. It's trusting that God's plan is better than my desires. And when I don't get what I'm hoping for, a gospel hope will help me believe that God has something better in mind. And when that truth sinks deep into our souls, we can truly start singing at midnight. So here's my advice for you and for me. Make a plan ahead of time that you will worship God in the darkness. Maybe you're in that season right now, or maybe it hasn't hit yet, but you can still make that commitment today to worship God even when your hopes have fallen to pieces. And over time, that worship can become a habit, and that habit will change you from the inside out. That was certainly true for Paul. He suffered so much over the years. He was beaten severely on multiple occasions. But in Romans chapter 5, he says, hey, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, what? Hope. And then here in Acts chapter 16, Paul is thrown into prison. He's deprived of all the comforts we expect in light. But then in his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I can do all this through him who gives me strength. But it doesn't end there. There were several times when it looked like Paul would be killed for following Jesus. But in that same letter to the Philippians, Paul says, it's okay for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, win-win. So just to be clear, that's where gospel hope will take you. You will stop holding tightly to anything in this world, including your own life. And do you see the freedom in that? It's actually a funny thing. You can have freedom in Christ whether or not you have freedom in this world. Let's go back to that jail to see what I'm talking about. When we left Paul and Silas, they were singing and praying at midnight. Let's read on, starting at verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So this looks like a supernatural event. This earthquake just happened to hit on the same night after Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. And this earthquake just happened to damage the foundations of the prison and twist open the doors and break all of the chains. That can't be a coincidence. That's an act of God. So because of this divine earthquake, Paul and Silas and all the other prisoners go free, right? Well, that's not what they did, but that's exactly what the jailer thought they did. And for him, their escape would be very bad news when a jailer in that culture allowed prisoners to escape, he would first be humiliated and then he'd be executed. And this particular jailer decides to skip the step of humiliation and end his own life. But then something shocking happens. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. 
He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, several crazy things just happened. So let's do a quick review. Back around midnight, this jailer heard Paul and Silas singing in the dark, and that was already weird. Then the earthquake hit, and this jailer is ready to commit suicide. But all of a sudden, Paul informs him that even though every prisoner had been freed from their bonds, none of them chose to escape. Now think about this. When Paul and Silas were praying, do you think they might have asked God for their freedom? I think that's very plausible, don't you? And then there's this earthquake, and the prison doors are thrown open. Have you ever asked God to open a door for you? In this case, God literally opens a door for Paul and Silas. And what do they do? Do they walk through it? Nope. They stay put. So seriously, in the face of what seems like a miraculous answer to prayer, what can these guys be thinking? Well, to be honest, I have a hard time figuring this out. But here's my theory. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. And this jailer had been an enemy to Paul and Silas. But they chose to represent Christ and show radical love. They knew that their escape would cost the jailer his life. So they decide to repay evil with good. It's stunning, really. really. Do you remember what I said a minute ago? You can have freedom in Christ whether or not you have freedom in this world. Paul and Silas were confident that because of Jesus, they already had true freedom. They knew that God would keep his promises. They knew that they would overcome this world and spend eternity in heaven. But the jailer, he didn't have any of that. And Paul and Silas desperately wanted him to have that hope. So they sacrificed their physical freedom so the jailer could have spiritual freedom. That's what a Christ-like love looks like. And that's what gospel hope looks like. And we're not quite done with the story, are we? When the jailer saw what Paul and Silas did, he went to them trembling with fear and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, there's a lot of meaning behind that question. The jailer is saying, what do you know that I don't know? What do you have that I don't have? God is clearly on your side, but based on what I've done to you, I must be in trouble with God. So where do I go from here? What must I do to be saved? This man's heart was completely open to hearing the good news about Jesus. And do you see where that openness came from? When followers of Jesus live with a gospel hope, others will be drawn to Jesus. Now, if we live a normal kind of life based on a normal worldly kind of hope, the rest of the world won't even notice. But when we show people that there is an alternative, that there is a different kind of hope, they'll start asking, what do you know that I don't know? What do you have that I don't have? And that's when some exciting things start to happen. Let's read just a few more verses. Paul and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. That was such an amazing night. After everything else that had happened, 
Paul and Silas pull an all-nighter with this jailer and his family. And before the sun came up, they were all baptized into Christ. And just like that, this gospel hope spread to a new group of people. And that's part of what I love about Acts chapter 16. Hope in Christ is available to absolutely everyone. Lydia was religious and she associated with the upper classes of society. The slave girl was a tortured soul who had sunk to the bottom of society. The jailer was not much concerned with religion and he was neither upper class nor lower class. So do you see, everyone needs this hope. Rich people, poor people, and everyone in between. Religious people and secular people and even those who have been tangled up in evil. This gospel hope is available to everyone. And this is where the church comes in. We get to show the world a different way to live. We get to demonstrate a different kind of hope. So that's our challenge for today. Take steps to show the world a different kind of hope. Once again, I have a few suggestions for you. And it would be great to talk these over with your small group of three to four. First, identify something in your life that did not turn out like you hoped. Next, ask God to help you live with gospel hope in this area. Third, choose in advance to worship God in the darkness. And finally, tell the story of how Jesus has given you hope. And for that last one, it's great to tell your small group, but don't leave it at that. Tell your story outside the group as well. Maybe you do that one-on-one with somebody. Maybe you share something on social media. But pray about how God might use your story to make a difference in someone else's story. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gospel itself. And I thank you specifically for this gospel hope that doesn't depend on our circumstances, that can help us uh, rise above uh, our feelings, our desires, and just be able to trust in you and in your promises. Lord, I pray for everyone listening right now. I pray that they will find this gospel hope, and I pray that we will all live with it for the rest of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.